Hey everyone, it's Ryan again with the Blockchain Podcast. And today I'm going to talk a bit about mining cryptocurrencies with ASICs and more specifically the investment thesis around that and how to think about the cash flow that you'll generate, the capital cost with buying the machines and potentially uh, upgrades to your house or your facility and just kind of pencil out the numbers in a way or at least give you an overview of what you should be thinking about and how profitability changes over time because this is something that is often a mystery to a lot of people. You know, they think that uh, you just start mining and you get Bitcoin or you get Litecoin or whatever, and it's just this free cash sort of utopia. And it definitely is profitable for uh, just about all these coins at this point as far as ASIC coins. Uh, I'm going to call them that. But uh, there are things to consider, and that profitability changes, and the uh, capital investment can change as far as how much the miner costs, and then what you need to do to upgrade your electrical, potentially overhead and exchange rate things, and all these other stuff. So I'm going to try and unpack it for you so that you uh, kind of understand what you should be thinking about, and if you decide to get into this, to understand what you're getting into and how uh, to uh, kind of pencil out the numbers. So to kind of start, uh, what is an ASIC? So an ASIC is an application-specific integrated circuit. So it's a mouthful, but basically what it means is a specialized piece of computational hardware that is used for some very specific task, and in this case, mining. And that can be for mining Bitcoin, for Litecoin, for Dash, for Siacoin. Uh, it can be for any of those, and, and a number of others as well use ASICs. And so what essentially has happened is as Bitcoin has matured and these other coins have matured and increased in value, uh, they've gone from, you know, sort of CPU or GPU mining back in the old days. And you can actually still mine with CPUs and GPUs. I'll talk about that in a, in a different podcast, hopefully. But sticking with ASICs, they started from that. I mean, way back in the day, I was mining Bitcoin back in 2011 uh, with my AMD GPU. And I, uh, when I had somewhere on the order of one mega hash plus, I was, you know, ecstatic miners for uh, Bitcoin today or on the order of 13.5 terahash, which is, you know, many, many, many orders of magnitude uh, more powerful. And it's just a whole new world. You absolutely have to have an ASIC miner to be able to mine Bitcoin or any one of the top coins uh, that aren't uh, GPU based, obviously. So without going too much into that, there are these specialized pieces of hardware. The largest manufacturer is by far Bitmain at this point. So bitmain.com, you can look at the products that they have. Typically, they're sold out and they sell in batches. So if it's sold out, you'd have to wait for a batch. Often the best way to do that is to go to Twitter, follow them, and they'll announce when there's a batch. Uh, right now, they're in such hot demand that uh, you can have a matter of minutes before you are able to get one. And at this point in time, they only take payment in Bitcoin Cash, so you have to have Bitcoin Cash on hand. So it's a bit of an effort, actually, to get a miner. You have to, uh, you know, have dollars, buy Bitcoin Cash, send it over, you know, get your get an order in place, make sure that you're one of the few that uh, can place that fast enough, you know, and, and stay on top of it. But aside from that... Say that you do get a Bitmain miner, you're looking at uh, anywhere from $1,300 to about $2,500 for the machine. You'll have to pay, you know, shipping, and you have to pay some import duties, and you have to get a power supply, uh, and so there's uh, some other costs. And when I say $1,300 to $2,500, depending on what the price is showing now today, it's about $2,300 per miner. Um, that can fluctuate depending on what the profitability is of that coin, um, the demand, and so forth. So they do fluctuate, and uh, just keep that in mind. And also, if it's a long wait time to get uh, a machine in a particular batch, then again, the price can be lower as well. So you're looking at a capital cost, essentially, right? You're looking at some sort of per purchase cost for the hardware. 
once you get that, um, something that a lot of people don't think about, depending on the, the miner that you're getting, is you might have to up upgrade your sort of electrical capacity. If you're mining Bitcoin especially, that's a very, very power-hungry miner that uh, pulls about 1,300 watts plus. You're going to need a power supply, preferably something on 220. You can do 120 with an ATX power supply, but that's going to cost you several hundred dollars uh, if you have to modify your um, uh breaker panel or add some more outlets that are 220 it's going to cost you money and so there's some overhead costs to getting your facility or your place ready to mine now i'm going to say something real quick too is i have mined with all these asics i have mined with gpus as well and the s9 is a very very loud machine it sounds like a shop vac uh, about 80 decibels it produces a lot of heat uh, it uses a lot of power, so it's actually not recommended for home mining. You could do it in your garage, uh, you could do it in a shed, or you could do it, you know, in a small facility or place. People do this. YouTube's a great resource for finding, you know, different ways that people are handling, you know, the S9 or the other miners. But the point being, you know, there are these other intangibles uh, as far as your sanity from this crazy loud whining sort of miner uh, with these massive and uh, uh, massive fans that you should consider so the script miner for example for litecoin is a lot quieter a lot less heat but the algorithm is more you know memory intensive and different than the bitcoin miner and so there's differences between miners too so different ones consume different power so something to consider. Now, after you get all that in place and you plug it in, uh, now it's going to uh, burn a lot of electricity, right? And that's going to cost a certain amount in your jurisdiction, whether it's 10 cents a kilowatt hour to 13 cents to 15 cents, or maybe even less if you're somewhere in Washington with hydropower. Uh, so electricity is your ongoing cost. And so again, to recap, uh, you have your facility sort of overhead to get ready for the to plug these things in. You have your cost uh, of just the machine itself. And then you have this ongoing cost of running it. And that's electricity. And uh, the basic skills needed are some basic IT skills. You need to be able to plug it in Ethernet, plug it into the wall. Uh, you need to be able to configure your address so that uh, you're mining to a particular pool. Uh, and again, all this information is widely available online. But what I want to focus on is the costs of all of these things. And so, and, and to what, you're th what to think about as far as your cash flow. So now that you have all this in place, you've spent several thousand dollars to get the miner. Um, you're going to be producing a certain amount per day. Today for Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash, you're looking at somewhere around 20-ish dollars a day, a little bit more with fees. And so you can think of that as, you know, your rough number. So over the course of a month, maybe $600 a month. And then over the course of, you know, a few months, you're looking at 1800 bucks. And you can kind of say, you know, the payback period for this is going to be, you know, somewhere on the order of probably six months. If it's, uh, if the price goes up for Bitcoin, these others, it can be around three months. And that's in dollar terms. Okay, so that's kind of the payback period that they're kind of shooting for in a snapshot. But the caveat to that is, and this is very, very important for people to understand because a lot of people uh, miss this and it's, it's, it's critical to your profitability, is that your income actually in, in Bitcoin terms or whatever coin you're, you're, you're mining decreases over time. Okay, and you might say, well, how, how, how could that be? Well, the mining power that is in a network uh, affects the difficulty and the difficulty affects you know how difficult it is to produce a block and so they're both basically just correlated so for example um, bitcoin the block time target is 10 minutes so what that means is every 10 minutes a block should be produced 
And in that block, there's a block reward of a certain amount of Bitcoins. And then there's fees for people that are sending things around, right? They pay fees that are also in the block. And so the block uh, total reward is the reward plus the fees. And that's what is distributed to the person who finds the block. Now, nowadays, you never mine on your own. You would just, the variance would just be ridiculous and you would never find a block. It would take you so long. It just wouldn't happen. So people pool their hashing power together and you connect to a pool and there's work that's distributed to you. And then you get a portion of that block reward when your pool finds a, a block. What that essentially means is you'll get paid for the work that you're doing. But what it also means is that you're sharing in that uh, uh, reward with all the other people that are that have an miner S9 or have hashing power for that algorithm. And so as more miners are added to the network, you can see that you're splitting more of that block reward. So say that the block reward is relatively constant for now, and that's not the case, but I'll let's just let's assume that there's a uh, 100, 100 Bitcoin, there's much less than that, but let's assume there's 100 Bitcoin in that block. And there's 100 miners with these S9s. They all have equal hashing power. So in that scenario, everyone's going to get one Bitcoin for mining that block. But now say that Bitmain sells another 100 miners into that network. And so there's 200 uh, uh, S9 miners and there's still just 100 uh, Bitcoin available. So now everyone gets half a Bitcoin. Okay. Now say that uh, Bitmain sells another 100. So there's 300 miners and there's only, again, 100 uh, BTC in that uh, block. So now you get 0.3. And this is what's actually happening is your block reward is decreasing over time. Why the profitability in dollar terms can stay the same is because the value of Bitcoin has been increasing you know, in dollar terms. And so as it's going up, even though your block reward for Bitcoin is going down, the dollar value per uh, Bitcoin is going up, and so it compensates. And so that's why it looks like, you know, it's kind of constant, but it's actually not. And as Bit Bitmain or others sell more uh, hardware into the market, it decreases and decreases over time. And sometimes Bitcoin or Bitmain won't sell hardware into the market because the network is too large, and so the profitability goes down. And so say it's something around $10 a day profitability, which is around $300 a month. And the payback period ends up just being too long. So at, say, a, a $2,100 price point, that'd be seven months before it pays back. And in that seven months, there's probably still going to be more hardware deployed. So that's going to be extended. And so you start looking at, you know, and then you have to also factor in, you know, uh, electricity costs and some other things. And so you're looking at like a payback period over over 12 months. And so, you know, in the grand scheme of things, that may not be too bad. I mean, to be able to get uh, your initial investment back on a, uh, in about 12 months or so is actually quite good, but in crypto, it's it's not so good. So there's kind of this balancing act. And on top of that, the uh, Bitmain, Bitmain also sells uh, uh, mining contracts. And so these contracts that they sell for a period, and you'll say an annual period or over a, uh, some sort of time frame, the value of those goes down if the profitability goes down as well. So they're kind of uh, you know, balancing how much hardware they want to sell, what they want to be able to sell their mining contracts for. And I'm sure they have, you know, a sophisticated sort of algorithm or methodology for determining what they're going to push into a network. So hopefully that gives you an idea of just kind of the high level metrics that you need to be considering, the different moving pieces, moving parts, uh, the hash rate, the exchange rate, uh, those are big factors. And then kind of the last thing that uh, needs to be considered is that over the course of four years, Bit 
Bitcoin actually halves its mining reward. And so right now, the mining reward is uh, somewhere around uh, 15-ish um, or 12.5, I think, actually, is what it is. And then there's some additional fees on top of that. So it's 12.5 uh, plus fees. It's probably about 14, 15-ish at this time. And so every four years, the block reward halves. And we actually just had a halving not too long ago. I believe it was in 2016. And four years from then, in 2020, we will see it have. And what that essentially means is the block reward goes from 12.5 all the way down to 6.25. And so that will have a big impact on mining. But the hope is that the fees have increased enough to help compensate for that or the price of Bitcoin has increased enough to help compensate for that. So that's something to think about on the longer term horizon. And someone who's doing something more commercial uh, is definitely aware of and definitely considering. So the last bit is just your ongoing operating costs, and that's pretty simple. Uh, that just has to do with electricity and how much you're paying in your locality, and there's different uh, places with different rates. But generally speaking, you know, uh, hydropower, geothermal power are going to be your cheapest, and there's cheap uh, uh, electricity in Washington, uh, in some parts of Oregon, in Canada, you know, in a, a number of other places, China as well. And so you'll also see, you know, these uh, mining companies move more and more towards centralization and centralized to low-cost areas uh, as well because over time that's going to have a big impact on profitability right now it's not such a big deal because there's good margin on uh, uh, your hardware at this point you know making you know six hundred dollars or so a month that's pretty good and the the cost of uh, electricity on say that amount of revenue is probably on the order of a hundred bucks or so for or, or thereabouts so electricity isn't a big deal yet, but eventually it will be, I believe. Um, so with all of that said, that's kind of the high level. The other thing to consider with ASIC mining is that there's uh, different ASIC miners. So Bitcoin's not the only one. There's Litecoin, which has a decently sized network. There's Dash, decently sized network. And then also, like I mentioned before, Siacoin. And so those are all much smaller than Bitcoin, uh, have less mature um, mining uh, markets, but there are also opportunities and there's also lots of other coins with Script or X11 or the, the others that you can mine. But uh, let me give you a little bit of insight on how things can play out there, though. So uh, last year in 2017, Bitmain released the D3, their D3 uh, Dash miner, and there were some other companies too producing miners for Dash. And they had not had a, uh, an ASIC miner before. So a bunch of hashing power, new hashing power, was going to come onto the market. And when they first announced it, uh, if you used the calculator, you would be making you know, hundreds of dollars a day with Dash. But what people didn't consider was that once all these miners, you know, thousands of them, tens of thousands of them potentially hit the market, that the revenue would drop significantly. So Dash is a prime example of what can happen when you oversaturate a market. So what ended up happening is Bitmain started delivering the units and initially the people who first got them, you know, had healthy profits for several days and then it dropped a lot as more miners came online and ended up being worth only a couple dollars a day and people had paid several thousand, 2,500 bucks or so for a miner and it was, you know, yielding around two, three, four dollars a day. And so the payback period was extremely long. Um, people were selling the units for a big loss. And so this was kind of the D3 sort of X11 Bitmain disaster, if you will. Now, Bitmain booked their profits, so they got paid up front, but the miners kind of got the short end of the stick. 
And so with their latest uh, Antminer A3 for Saya coin, that's a very small market. And you're probably going to get flooded with a uh, lot of hashing power. There's other people, including uh, Obelisk, who's also producing miners uh, for Saya. And you're just going to have too much hashing power, most likely. You're going to have a small network. You're going to have a coin that probably won't appreciate that much. And even if it does, it takes a lot of appreciation to compensate for a saturated market. I mean, if you're down to $2 a, a day sort of mining, you'd have to double the price to get to $4 and double it again to get to $8 a day and double it again to get to $16 a day. And so you, the value just has to go way up. And so that's one of the dangers with small network or small coins, uh, you know, with uh, the initial launch of ASIC. So something to be aware of when you see, you know, these new ASICs come online and that you're going to buy it. There's huge profitability. That profitability never lasts because uh, Bitmain or whoever else is going to continue to sell hardware into that market until it drives it down to something around the order of 10 to $20 a day. And maybe they plan on driving it down further than that as well. I mean, maybe they will, maybe they won't. But I, at some point, it becomes bad business because you can only drop the price so much of the miners. So they say they drop it to, you know, a thousand bucks a miner. Um, and say, you know, they, the uh, pro mining profitability drops, you know, only a handful of dollars. It's like, okay, is that really worth it? You may be better just buying GPUs, right? So it's all this big balancing act, all of these things to consider, you know. But uh, for the time being, it has been very, you know, lucrative to be mining. But again, it's also been very lucrative to just purchase coins and hold them. And that's another thing to consider is, is maybe it's just better to buy the underlying coin, buy Bitcoin, buy Litecoin, buy these other coins instead of uh, buying a miner. So let's look at that analysis real quick. So if it's, you know, say $2,500 all up to uh, buy an ASIC and begin mining with it, you could take that equivalent amount and just purchase the coin. Now, when you do that, you're obviously betting that the coin just going to appreciate. When you buy the miner, you have a capital asset. You can probably sell the miner for you know a certain amount at some point and recover your money at the very least, or maybe a little bit of a loss. But in the meantime, you'd be mining and producing cash flow. So it's just a slightly different risk profile in the sense that by just holding the coin, you're completely uh, subject to price movements. When you're mining, you're still subject to price movements, but you have uh, you know an asset on the books. You have a, a piece of hardware that is worth something that can be sold, and so you know you're just kind of taking on different risks. So when the price of the coins were just kind of going up dramatically, it probably would have been better to just uh, buy the coin and then 10x your money. But when it's actually moving flat or sideways like Bitcoin is now and say that it doesn't shoot up for a number of months, it may be better to be mining in that time frame, right? Because you're not gaining that appreciation, but you're gaining a cash flow. And then over the course of you know a period of time, you pay back your investment and then you're you know just generating more profits. And it's actually, like I said, a quite lucrative at this point. Now, of course, with markets, you know, it's always the case that they revert back to some sort of norm. That's going to happen. But uh, I think there's a bit of time in the uh, mining space to uh, still make money. There are a couple more things to consider, including futures trading uh, or hedging your risk. And then the last bit is technology changes. So I'm going to cover, let's do technology changes first. So right now we're at a 16 nanometer process. And uh, before that, it was something on the order of 20 something nanometers with, say, the S7. 
And what generally happens with, you know, a reduction from, say, 20-something to 16 nanometers is you get more efficiency, you get more transistors on the chip, and so uh, say that you get a 25% increase in performance, you know, whether it's lower power or increased performance. And essentially, the, the way that that's happening is you're just basically being able to put more transistors on that chip and do it uh, uh, at a lower power consumption. So in mining, you do get these technology jumps that you have to think about too. So if Bitmain decides to uh, deploy a 7 nanometer, going from 16 nanometer, 7 nanometer, uh, say for example a 10 nanometer process, they're probably going to become more efficient. Now, uh, efficiency is going to be very important and performance is also very important. But you have to consider that it's going to cost Bitmain quite a bit of money to develop that, uh, quite a bit of money to deploy that, and you can bet that uh, the price of those miners is going to be higher. So say that they cost 3000 something versus, say, 2000 something So, you know, they're going to price it basically on a terahash basis. And uh, I don't know if you're going to get much advantage because you're going to pay for the advantage that you have. But over the long term, you'll want to upgrade your machines to that. Uh, but that said, uh, the technology jumps haven't been producing as high a gains. And so it's kind of this balancing act of, okay, if we go from 16 nanometer technology to 7 nanometer, you know, am I really going to be out in the cold with the miner that I have? And for the S9s, I'd say probably not. I think if they come out with 7 nanometer, um, there's going to be, like I said, a 25% performance increase. You'll probably want to migrate to those eventually, um, but it's not going to be a killer. It's not going to be this huge quantum jump. Uh, that just kind of produces, you know, or makes the existing hardware obsolete. Uh, if you went from something, you know, a few years ago from the S7 to S9, it kind of did that. Uh, and then even generations before that, it, it did that quite quickly. But now with technology, we're getting to a place where crypto mining is using uh, more or less the latest and greatest uh, uh, fabrication processes. And so we've kind of hit, you know, this limit with Moore's Law and so forth. Not, not limited by Moore's Law, but we've hit... Uh, uh, a limit to where we have the latest and greatest technology and that you're competing uh, for fab time with say like nvidia and amd and really big manufacturers so i don't see huge jumps i do see potentially some jumps but not huge ones uh, so that's something to consider less and then the last thing is uh, hedging your risk so like i said before uh, you kind of have this dollar uh, currency risk, right? Because you're mining in Bitcoin, the price of Bitcoin can change, and you probably have to pay your bills in dollars. And so now with the CME and you know others, you can trade futures uh, of Bitcoin. A lot of people were kind of like, well, who wants to short Bitcoin? You know, it's moving up and up, and obviously that's not going to move up forever. It can move up and down, so there's a reason for shorting it. But it also can be very risky to short it. But for miners, they probably should have some futures positions because if the price of uh, Bitcoin drops a lot, they need cash to pay for their operations. So they might actually uh, go short on Bitcoin and then mine Bitcoin. And so that actually makes sense. So it's a covered short position. And that's actually, I'd say, really a real, real world case for using futures rather than speculating. And that's kind of what happens with anything else with gold mining or silver mining. Uh, those miners will actually uh, uh, buy or sell 
you know, futures based on the outlook and based on uh, their risk profile. Same with Bitcoin now. You can actually hedge your risk if you have a large mining operation, you know, buy some contracts, some future contracts to make sure that, you know, if there's price volatility that you're taken care of. And so that's normal. And it's also a sign of a, a maturing uh, kind of industry where you actually have these tools to uh, help manage your risk. So with that, uh, I think I'll kind of close out this uh, mining. I know I focused on Bitcoin quite a bit. There's a lot of other miners um, and there's a lot of other things to consider. And maybe I'll do a follow up as well. I, I definitely do want to talk about GPU mining because I've done that and currently do that. And there's a lot of other considerations there as well. And just the whole, you know, uh, which do you go with? Do you go with ASICs? Do you go with GPUs? What's the outlook for these different coins? Which networks are stable? Which ones are unstable? Switching between different coins, you know, using services like NiceHash or otherwise to, you know, just mine for uh, or get paid in Bitcoin versus the underlying coin, mining pools, tons and tons and tons of stuff. But in this podcast, what I really wanted to highlight is the considerations when you're thinking about it from an investment point uh, perspective and to understand, you know, just that things move. So with that, I'd say uh, check out the website, you know, blockchain.co. You can follow uh, on Twitter or Facebook as well with Blockchain CO and uh, sign up for the newsletter and create an account and I'll just continue adding content and uh, I'm in the process of refining some of my picks uh, for uh, investment purposes, ones that I really like, uh, projects that I think have really solid potential, uh, that have solid interaction and users and community, and the ones that I think are going to be, you know, something that you can kind of hold for several years versus trade. So I really want to get those out, but I really want to, you know, do a, a thorough analysis so that I can explain why I like them, uh, why they're unique, uh, what the team looks like, what the outlook looks like, what the valuation looks like, and if that's reasonable. So a lot of people aren't really thinking too much about this stuff. They're kind of just buying things that are, you know, people are hyping up about. I really want to do a solid real analysis. So uh, look for that. I'm going to get that out. I will eventually do that, I promise. But in the meantime, make sure you go and you follow and sign up. And I will see you next time on the Blockchain Podcast.